Good morning again. What an exciting morning to have a new family in the church and a new staff member in our midst, and so grateful for that. Our uh, gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 13, beginning with verse 10. Listen, will you, for the Word of God as it's proclaimed through these words of Holy Scripture. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid, when he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. The word of God for the people of God. So last summer, our daughter Beth was married to an Englishman whose name is Jamie. And what I've noticed about Jamie and about British people in general is this sense of politeness. When Jack and I were in the UK a couple of years ago, we noticed that all over the place. We just fell in love with the people of that country. They were always so helpful. We stayed in a little village in an area called the Cotswolds, which is just this beautiful, beautiful area. And I ventured out to a little coffee shop in the center of town while Jack went fishing. You guessed it, fishing. The coffee and the biscuit that I had were absolutely delicious. But when it came time to pay, I realized that I had left my money back at the place that we were staying. Well, I was horrified, horrified, just imagining the public shaming that I was going to have to go through for breaking the most important rule, the most sacred rule of all, you have to pay for what you get. But the waitress simply said, don't worry, just you know, drop it by sometime when you come through town, and if you forget, no big deal. And then there was the time that we tried to sort out the parking at Stratford-on-Avon. They had these blue parking stands where you're supposed to put your money, and we had a hard time figuring, it was kind of vague, the whole thing, and, and there were several of them, and so we had trouble figuring out which was the right one to put our pounds into. We did our best to put the correct amount of money in the right place. So a couple of hours later, we came back to our car and we found this guy standing by our car with his big sign on the back of his shirt saying, Warden. 
He was just about to give us a ticket, and we told him we did pay. We, we promised we paid, but we might have used the wrong pay stand. And he said, but did you have a good day? <laughs> and we said, well, yes, we, we had a lovely day. And he said, well, that's all that matters. I hope you have a good rest of the day. Enjoy your day. These stories speak to a culture that cares for people. More to the point, the priority of people over the rigid enforcement of rules. Enjoy the rest of your day. Don't worry, just drop it by if you have time. Our text this morning illustrates quite a different scenario, a much different kind of culture. It's the story of a woman known only by a label that described her infirmity. She was the bent-over woman. She'd been that way for 18 years. The cause of her condition is unknown, but the effect of her ailment was her separation from the community. She was ostracized, seen as the victim of an evil spirit. So we read this text in the 21st century as metaphor. Perhaps she was a victim of a name that had been imposed on her. Happens all the time, doesn't it? Someone is told they are unlovable or insignificant or not enough in some way. Someone is given a name or someone has a reputation that marginalizes them from the rest of the community. Unfortunately, the church has often given this message of not being enough for God. Exclusion supported by arbitrary rules and or wrong-headed devotion to the words of Scripture rather than the Word of God revealed through those words? We're familiar with all of that. We know it can be devastating. We know the church of the 21st century has some of the same problems that this earlier community of Luke had. The woman in the text subject to exclusion, responds as you might expect. She draws into herself. She looks at the ground rather than risk making eye contact. She is held captive by her circumstances. So what did Jesus do? He noticed her. He called to her. He healed her causing her to stand up straight. He reminded her of her truest, most authentic identity as a daughter of Abraham, a child in God's family. Whatever else anyone might have said to her in the past, the grace in that transforming moment was enough to heal her broken spirit, allowing her to stand up to her full height. Now, the leader of the synagogue was outraged. Jesus had ignored all of the rules of appropriate religious behavior. 
He healed on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. It's hard to understand how someone could be upset by the healing of a woman who had been suffering for 18 years. I mean, that's hard to understand, right? Rejoicing would seem the most natural response. That's certainly what the woman does. She praises God, which is really the essence of the Sabbath, really the essence, praising God. There are two themes in Hebrew Scriptures that help us define what it means to praise God through the Sabbath. The first is that we celebrate Sabbath. When we celebrate Sabbath, we enjoy the creation. God worked six days, and then on the seventh day, God rested and enjoyed all the wow of what had been created, of what had emerged, the sun and the sky and the stars and the moon and the animals, the trees and the mountains. God said, wow, and that was an appropriate Sabbath. But there's another theme for Sabbath that often gets ignored. It's the theme of the Sabbath that is grounded in liberation. I had never put this together before, but it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded that you keep the Sabbath. You see the connection between liberation and Sabbath. On the Sabbath, we stop our striving in order to remember the liberation that we receive as a gift from God who brought our ancestors out of bondage with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The God of the Sabbath is the God who liberates us, the same God who wore the flesh of Jesus, the same God revealed through this story of releasing a child of God from her bondage. On the Sabbath, we praise God who is both creator and redeemer. And so, yes, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He liberated this woman. He reminded her who she was, a child of God. And then what? Then what? I mean, I want to know what happened the next day. What happened the next day? What happened when she woke up the next morning? Did she stand up and stretch? And surely if she did, did she realize that she was seeing the world in a totally different way, in a totally different perspective, from a totally different angle? The world was no longer a small space around her feet but it was stretching out in every direction, filled with possibility. And here's what I think also. I think that as she looked out rather than down, I wonder, did she begin to notice the people who were still unable to stand up to their full height? You see, when we are liberated from what keeps us in bondage, when we stand up to our full height and look beyond what is right in front of us, we begin to notice all the other people 
who are held captive by their pain, physically, psychologically, spiritually. We can't help but see others who continue to suffer with their problems. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian. You probably all heard about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was intolerant of faith without action. He lived and he died by his theology. In World War II, he was teaching at Union Seminary here in New York City, but he felt compelled to return to Germany to pastor his people. And so consequently, he was taken by the Nazis and eventually executed in Flossenburg concentration camp for his role in uh, a death, uh, an assassination plot against Hitler. Maybe the connection between faith and action that Bonhoeffer found compelling explains why Jesus gave such attention to healing. It wasn't only to eliminate pain, physical or otherwise. Healing, you see, healing puts us in touch with the powerful grace of God. Bonhoeffer knew that when we experienced healing, that that healing reveals to us our true identity as children of God and beneficiaries of Christ's unconditional grace. Healing enables us to sense our connectedness with one another, our connectedness with all of humanity. Healing results in our ability to stand up to our fullest height and to claim the gifts God has given us. Most importantly, Bonhoeffer would tell us that while healing is very personal, it's never private. There is also a social dimension to our healing as the entire community and, in fact, the world gets to receive the gifts that God has given us to use on behalf of healing the world. If the woman in our text today was healed today, if she experienced grace today and then looked out into the world around her, what would she see? She might see children crying for their parents and parents willing to risk anything to get them to safety. She might see parents wondering if their children would be subject to violence or racism simply because their skin is dark and they wear or they wear a hijab. She might see children of God who are left out, excluded from the faith community because of who they love. She would see exclusion supported by the wrong-headed devotion to the words of Scripture rather than the Word of God that emerges from those words. My favorite British phrase is this one, mind the gap, mind the gap. How many people have heard that phrase used? I just love that, mind the gap. You hear it all the time. It's this polite reminder over and over again. It's used when you're on the train or on the bus, 
loudspeakers will pipe in that phrase, mind the gap. Because see, there's this gap between the train where you're standing and the platform where you're going, or the bus and the street beside it. There's a, a little gap, a little gap between where you are and where you're going. So there's always a reminder to mind the gap. The gift of the woman who was healed is that she could mind the gap. Here's what I mean. When she was only able to look down, all she could see was the gap. But when her eyes were lifted, she could see beyond the gap. She could see into the world that she had been called to serve. She could empathize with others who still struggled, who still faced the vastness of the gap between where they were and where God wanted them to be, the wholeness that God wanted them to experience. She could empathize, and then she could act just like Jesus did. She could mind the gap, and mindful of that gap, she could act. As a church, God is calling us to be healed, to stand up to our fullest height so that we can see the beauty of creation, but we can also have the perspective of seeing the suffering of the world and doing something about it. It's easy for us to look down at what's right in front of us, but God calls us to acknowledge the gap and then to mind the gap. You probably know Bono, who is the lead singer of U2, the Irish rock band. He's a deeply faithful Christian, and he is enormously generous and committed to confronting the world's problems. A while back, he spoke at a prayer breakfast, and he said these words that still ring so true. A number of years ago, I met a wise man who changed my life in countless ways, large and small. I was always seeking the Lord's blessing. I was saying, you know, I have a new song. Look after it, God. And I have a family. Please look after them, God. I have this idea on and on. And this wise man said, stop. He said, stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Get involved with what God is doing because it's already blessed. Well, as I said, says Bono, God is with the poor. That, I believe, is what God is doing. And that is what God is calling us to do. May it be so.